Well, thank you for that, John, and thanks to kiddos who are here and, and those who are uh, at home. Uh, we miss y'all, but we also completely understand uh, why, um, why folks are, are, are uh, not here today, many. And for those who are here today, um, we're really glad to be together. Um, you may, may have heard, you may not have heard. Excuse me one second, I've got to put this down. Uh, but uh, yes, we also, our family, embarked upon the new year by getting hit with COVID. So um, I'm grateful to be done with the quarantine time also. That's really hard. It's hard to just lock up and stay away from everybody for that extended period. Um, and we're grateful uh, just for those that uh, extended care. And, and there's care happening in a lot of places throughout the church family, and, and that's a beautiful thing to see. Um, as has already been mentioned, several events have been postponed, and uh, we're trying to give people flexibility to do what they need to do and make choices they need to make uh, in, in the weeks ahead. And uh, for those of you who are uh, coming to the newcomers class or are planning on it, just a, a full uh, invitation again, please do join us. Uh, next Sunday for that. If something comes up between now and next Sunday, or you find yourself needing to make a decision to not physically be with us, just let us know. Uh, feel free just to email us at info at claytonvalleychurch.com, and we will make every arrangement uh, for you to be able to join us. And so uh, thankfully, this is 2022, people. We can do stuff, all right? So you can be there even if you can't be there, and we'll just do what needs to happen so that you can join us for that. So just let us know. And we'll take care of that. Again, that's info at claytonvalleychurch.com. And uh, <clears throat> just, uh, yeah, I've, I've been assured I am not contagious at all, but I do have a lingering sort of, of voice thing. So if that bothers you, I apologize. I have water with me. Um, and uh, I've been assured I'm not contagious. So just be aware of that. But um, anyway, Happy New Year, people. You're probably like, really? Look, I wasn't here. Okay, I was not here. So I want to say Happy New Year. And, uh, and I actually want to take the opportunity now to share some things uh, in light of this new year, in light of the year ahead that we're facing. And uh, there's a recent survey, actually, that, that says that right about now, about 80% of all New Year's resolutions have gone by the wayside. So maybe this is a good time. Maybe you had some other resolutions in mind, and they've also gone by the wayside. Uh, but uh, I'd like us to take a look today uh, in the Psalms. Uh, we're taking a little bit of a just deviation from our First John series. We'll be back in that next week. Uh, but we want to take some time to look at the year ahead in light of God's Word and in light of um, His provision, who He is, and, and even some of the things that we're facing. And I was spending time with the Lord during my, my break, and, um, and in that time I came across this Psalm, and I thought, oh, what a beautiful way to kick off a year. And so uh, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 115. Uh, Psalm 115. And uh, in, in light of the fact that this is God's word and we want to honor God's word as we hear it read, would you please stand? And those at home, wherever you're at, go ahead and stand as well. And as you open to that portion of scripture, and go ahead and follow along as I read. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. 
They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have noses, but they cannot smell. They have hands, but they cannot feel. They have feet, but they cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you, by your work and by your spirit, would take this beautiful passage and open our hearts to it. Wherever we're at right now, wherever we find ourselves, whatever we're facing, we would pray that by your spirit's work, you would apply the truths from this passage to our hearts so that as we leave this place today, we would walk as those who worship you, the living God that we would walk as those who worship Yahweh, the true God, the God of loving kindness, the God of almighty power, the God of compassion and grace, the God of truth. And so we seek you now and we ask that you would accomplish this among us. We ask this in Jesus' name, our risen King. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. Uh, The psalm just declares with all boldness, as you can see, to God be all of the glory. And notice, not to us. That's a key question that comes from this, is where does the glory go in your life? To God or or, or to yourself? And when we look at that, the psalmist opens with that, it almost is taking into account the fact that we have a tendency as people to take glory and put it on ourselves. We do that. That's a, a normal part of a human being in this fallen world. We tend to put glory on us. Now the question is, of course, what is glory? And, and really the word for glory here has the idea of weightiness, heaviness, and visible splendor. Uh, It's sort of the idea of the majesty of a ruler. So in the time of of the Old Testament and the Psalms, when someone was heavy, it wasn't a bad thing. I know for us, we look at that and go, heavy, oh, well, you should lose some pounds. One of those resolutions that probably went by the wayside, you know, not long ago, right? We think of heaviness as, oh, that's not good. But in this time, heaviness was a desired thing. Uh, To be heavy or to be weighty indicated several different things. First of all, it indicated you were prominent. Uh, you, you had a, a weight about yourself. Uh, it could be that physically you, you had food. You had a way to sustain yourself. Uh, you were not impoverished. And so you were heavy in that way. But it also had the idea of honor. So when, a, when, when royalty would walk into the room, this royal one was given 
weight. Uh, we might use the term today gravitas, right? They walk into the room and the person's like, no, this person has power. This person can get things done. This person has authority. This person is on an exalted level. And then from that, you get the idea of the robes of a king and the splendor that comes with that. So all those things are wrapped up in this word glory. And so as you begin the new year, a question to ask would be this. What is the center of gravity in your life? To what or whom do you give glory? Not to us, it says here. Not to us. Right off the bat, the psalmist deals with our tendency to say, yeah, the glory, the heaviness, the weight, the center of gravity, it really is all about me. But no, the psalmist says, glory goes to God and God alone. Now, how do we know if, in fact, we're taking that glory, twisting it around and placing it back on ourselves? Well, the psalmist is going to deal with that in a few. But for now, we find the psalmist telling us why or reasons that all glory goes to God and not to us. He shows us why. And so we would see glory to God, not to us. Why? First of all, because God alone is faithful. He says it very clearly there in verse 1. Look at what it says. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory, because... Here it is. Because why? Because your loving kindness and because of your truth. That's why. God's the one who's faithful. What is loving kindness? That is God's faithful covenant-keeping love. If you were with us last month, we had spent some time in the book of Ruth, and we saw that the word hesed in Hebrew means that, means loving kindness. That's the same word here. So this is God's faithful covenant-keeping love. He never has lied to you. He never will. He's the only one who will always, always, always come through on what he's promised. And the second reason we find here, not just because of loving kindness, but notice also because of your truth. And that term really conveys the idea of complete reliability. You can absolutely rely on God. And that's why all glory goes. And you'll notice here, really what's coming about is God deserves glory. Glory belongs to him. And therefore, we are to ascribe or praise him or give him glory. It's his already anyway, would be the idea. But it's glory being given to him because of, notice, who he is. He's the God of loving kindness, faithfully keeping covenant. He's the God who is truthful, completely reliable. And so because of that, he himself declares in the prophet Isaiah's words, for my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? God declares he will share his glory with no one. There's a good reason for that. Because all glory actually belongs to him. Now, I think for us, when we look at that, we think, wow, God's kind of a megalomaniac, right? He's like, the glory is mine. Give all glory to me. Put it on me. Praise me. I mean, if, a per- if I stood up there and said that, uh, I would hope you'd be out the doors in three seconds, right? Like, Chris, there's something wrong with that guy. But here's the thing. 
with God because God, he is in fact the highest good, because he in fact is the center of gravity for all things, because he really is the glorious one exclusively, for him to share his glory with another would be a crime. It would be a moral wrong. Unlike you and me, God is absolutely and perfectly holy, holy, holy. He is the maker. He is all-powerful. And so for him to share his glory with another would be to commit evil because he alone is the glorious one. So all glory to God and not to us. Why? Because God alone is the one who's faithful. He alone is the one who will carry us through. He alone is the one who is reliable. But not only that, the psalmist goes on to also tell us to God alone be the glory because God alone also is the one who alone is almighty. Find that in verses 2 and 3. You'll notice verse 2 kind of opens with a taunt. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? What's going on with that? Well, that, that really was something that the surrounding nations around the people of Israel, whenever they entered into calamity or a difficult time, the nations around them would go, see, why are you worshiping that God? Why are you worshiping him? What's the point? Obviously, it's not working out for you. Where is he? And so it was a very kind of a pragmatic way of saying, you're worshiping the wrong God because look at you and look at the situation you're in. And so the nations mock Israel with this question. And so we kind of find from this, what's the context of the psalm? We don't know. It could have been a military crisis. Um, somehow Israel might have been on the ropes, in, in a sense, in terms of the world stage. And so it would be an understandable question from the vantage point of the surrounding nations. Why are you on the brink of collapse? Why are you struggling? Obviously, this God thing isn't working for you. Who's, who's Yahweh? Who cares? He's not coming through for you. But notice what the response is in verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. What a response. Here he's saying, our God, unlike the gods of the nations, they would typically create an idol of some kind, and he's going to get into that a little bit later too. They would make something out of their hands, a piece of stone, and they would carve it in some way, and they'd worship that, or a piece of wood or something else. Here, the response of the psalmist is, uh, nations, you can say, where is our God? But the reality is, is our God is in the heavens. Yeah, you can't see him. He's not made out of wood. No, he's not made by us. He made us. And he is above and beyond your ability to see. But not only that, he's not only not a piece of wood. He's not only not an idol. He is, in fact, able to do anything he wants including the calamity that we're in right now. See, Israel clearly, clearly brings out this reality repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. The calamity we experience or don't experience is not a manifestation of God's lack of faithfulness. If anything, the calamities we experience are oftentimes the very demonstration of his faithfulness because he's using them and working through them and bringing us into a place of a deepening relationship with him, a deepening trust in him. Our God is in the heavens. You may not be able to see him, but know this. He does whatever he pleases. What calamities are you facing right now as you embark upon a new year? Whatever they are, 
understand this. God is working in and through that. If you're his child, if you're in Christ, if you've been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus and you've trusted in him, you can know that he has you in this moment, in this time, in his season for a good reason. You can't always see what it is, especially when you're in the middle of it. But you can trust him. God alone is the one who is almighty. And here's the thing. Because he's almighty and because he's in the heavens and he's not tangible in, 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 in a way that the nations around Israel would have understood at the time, he's not limited to some sort of certain sphere of authority. You know, a lot of the gods of the nations, they were over certain things. They had the God that was over, you know, the crops doing well or fertility of the land. They had a God over war who would give them victory in different areas and, and so on and so on. But here, he's saying God does whatever he wants. God is, has authority overarching all of creation because it's his. He made it. What does that mean for us as we face the, the calamities that... that that are staring us in the face right now. Well, that means that because he does whatever he pleases, he has a good purpose for his people through these times. From, from pandemics to polemics, from troop buildups to economic shakedowns, from tsunamis to tornadoes to sunshine to citrus crops to days of health to seasons of sickness, from births to deaths, in joy and in sadness, everything comes about in accordance with his sovereign will. Now, a thoughtful question can come up in the midst of that. What about evil? Is God involved in that? And the Bible tells us very clearly that, that God cannot do evil because it is against his nature. Yet we're told that God is so sovereign and so wise that he actually uses evil to defeat evil. That's how good God is. He uses evil to defeat evil without ever engaging in evil. The clearest demonstration of this, of course, would be what Jesus accomplished on the cross. The greatest evil ever committed in the history of the world was the murder of the innocent Son of God. And yet, what did God do? He brought about the greatest good, the salvation of sinners like you and me through that. So we see God dealing with and defeating evil using its own efforts against itself. We saw it in the cross. We'll see it again when he returns. So is God's relationship with good accomplished in the world in the same way as evil is accomplished in the world? The answer is no. God uses evil to thwart evil, to defeat evil, but this does not mean he engages in evil. That's how, again, how wise and sovereign he is. Does this take away from human agency? Does it make us puppets? Nope. We make real decisions in the real world with real consequences. Does this completely remove all pain of suffering? No, it doesn't. But it does give us a frame of reference for it, and it does shape the way we experience that suffering because Jesus 
God himself entered into this suffering. He didn't just leave us there. He didn't uh, theoretically deal with it from some aloof ivory tower. No, he enters in. God sovereignly frames suffering. He gives hope in the middle of it. He shapes how we experience it. And so in light of this, again, all glory to God. God is the one who is faithful. God is the one who is almighty. But the psalmist now gives us another reason to give all glory to God. And that is because God alone is the living God. Here we find in the next phrases kind of this satire going on about the false gods of the nations. Because, you know, basically they're saying, hey, where's your God? And now the psalmist is turning the tables. And he's saying, where is our God? Um, our God rules over all things. Our God is in the heavens. You can't physically see him. But here's the real question, nation. Where is your God? Notice, they're silver and gold, work of, of, of man's hands. People make them. And then you have verses five through seven talking about all these different Parts of the body. They have mouths, but they can't speak. In other words, they can't actually engage. They can't speak. Uh, They have eyes they can't see. They don't actually see what's going on in the universe because they're not real. They have ears, but they can't hear. They can't respond to you. You're sitting there praying to a piece of wood. You know, there's, there's nothing there. And, and it goes on and on. Why? Well, because, think of this. The God of the Bible, the actual God, the real God, he does speak. He speaks to us through his word. He spoke through the prophets of old. The God of the heavens, he can see. Not only can he see, he sees everything. The God... Yahweh, the living God, by the way, we use the term Yahweh because that's the term that God himself gave to his people to use of himself back in in Exodus chapter three. He says, that's my covenant-keeping name, Yahweh. It comes from the Hebrew verb meaning uh, to be. So in a sense, he's saying, I am, I was, I forever will be, Yahweh. I am the, I am God, Yahweh. So Yahweh is the one who does see, he does hear. When we uh, pray to him, he hears us. You kind of wonder, why bring up noses and smell? Like, you kind of, what, what's with that? <laughs> you know? Uh, well, think of this. When an offering was given, what happened? There was an aroma that came from the offering. The idea being, when you offer a sacrifice to the living God, he actually receives it. But th- there's a deeper ironic tragedy being depicted here in the tendency of people to make idols themselves to worship rather than God. And it kind of goes back to creation itself. Think about this. God is the one who made all things. God made us to do what? To bear his image. What does that mean? That means we bear God's image as, as creatures, as human beings. God gave us this place of living as his image, his representatives in the world. So how tragic is it that the image bearer now goes and makes a false image to worship? But the irony goes even deeper than that. 
Think about this. Why is it that you have eyes to see? You know why? Because you've been made in God's image and God is the God who sees. In many ways, the fact that we have eyeballs and can see is simply an analogy for what God really is and what he does. We're representing him in that. Why do you have hands that can move and do? Because God is the God who works and moves and acts. And so we're reflecting him in that. Why do you have ears that can hear? Because our God is the God who hears. We have these characteristics because we're a reflection of him, the living God. And so now idolatry, what does idolatry do? It perverts and twists and, and places upside down God's order. We who were designed to bear God's image and worship the living God, we make ourselves false idols and images. And so the one who gave us life is forsaken and we forsake the living God for these self-made little gods that have no life. It's, it's a horrifying reversal of God's design. And so rather than worshiping the creator as living bearers of his image, we create for ourselves images of him that have no life. And so our God who speaks and hears and acts and moves, we forsake him and create inanimate things that can't do that. In other words, they are not alive. And that's why we get this concept of God being the living God. He's the living God. He gives life. The life that we have, we enjoy because we're in him. And so here's the question. When we make these idols, these inanimate objects that aren't alive and act as though they're alive, which is so delusional, why do we trust in them? And at this point, oftentimes as modern Christians in the 21st century, we go, that's so true. Why do they do that? Well, hold on, stop. Why do we do that? And you're saying, well, how do, how do we do that? I don't, have a, I don't have a wooden thing in the hallway that I'm bowing down to. Okay. How much do we place our trust in things that we've made ourselves? Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's your car, your promotion, your career, your education. Whatever those things are that we trust in. Do you understand something? Those things are not reliable. I don't know. My car is pretty reliable. I bought a Honda. Hey, guess what? There's still a service center, buddy. You're going to bring that bad boy in eventually. It's going to happen. Why do we rely on them? And again, are they all evil in and of themselves? No, of course not. They're not evil, but the issue is this. At their best, they are gifts, not God's. And the psalmist is saying here, stop relying on them. How do you know whether you're relying on them or not? Well, one way to know is what happens when calamity strikes your life, especially in the area of one of those things. What happens when perhaps you lose one of those things or they let you down? 
if you insist on relying on the things that you have made rather than on the God who made you, there is actually a just consequence on the horizon. We find it in verse 8. You will become like them. Notice, those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts or relies on them. If you make idols, you will become like them. If you trust in idols, you will become like them. In what way? Well, there's several ways that that happens. Um, there's a big list of idols. You know, many years ago, we actually spent some more time on this. But think about it. For some people, you know, the idol is control, let's say. I have to control things. Things have to go my way. How do you know that's going on in your life? Well, because if things don't go the way I think they should go, I get frustrated. Which means what? I'm getting mad or angry. It has to go this way because heaven forbid if it doesn't. Well, your idol is control because there's only one being in the entire universe whose plans always come to pass and that be God's. That's God. God's plans always come to pass. And when we demand that, we are basically saying, I am God. So, when control is an idol, you become a controller. Uh, If you're a big video game fan, just think of your PS4 or 5 or whatever you have right now and look at that controller. If your idol's control, that's what you are. You're a controller. But there can be other ones. Here's another way, though, in which we become like them. As you give yourself over to idols, the irony here, and and it's a just consequence of God, as the idol cannot speak or see or hear or feel or walk or move, so you too will no longer be able to see, hear, speak, act, or move. At least not really. As you give yourself to the worship of a thing rather than God himself, you become more like a thing rather than walking, bearing his image as a living being in the connection with the living God. That's especially fascinating here at the end of verse 7. Look at what it says. They, referring to the idol, cannot make a sound with their throat. And you're going, okay, wait, we, he just said he can't speak in beginning of verse 5. So what, is he being redundant here? No. Most likely, the reference there to making a sound with the throat is the sound of breathing. In other words, they're not alive. The principle we find here is this. To the extent that you rely on lifeless idols, you will become lifeless. To the extent that you rely on lifeless idols, you will become lifeless. 
And for the young people among us, look, you're just embarking on your life right now. You are just getting things going here. You are just starting to make decisions about major things. Please, if you are in Christ, do not allow the distractions and the distortions of the world around you cause you to pursue things less than walking with Yahweh, the living God. Because they are promising you that all these things will bring life. When in fact, it's a call to devote yourself to lifeless idols. As we worship and trust the living God, we become more and more alive. The New Testament describes that as progressive sanctification. When we're in Jesus, we're placed into a vibrant relationship with Christ. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are given, because of our connection with him as the vine and the branches, we are given resurrection power from the age to come to live on each and every day in him. You've never been more alive until that moment you came to Jesus. As a matter of fact, in that moment you received eternal life. But as we worship and trust the inanimate, lifeless creations of mankind, we become more inanimate, more lifeless, less able to hear, speak, and do. And the question is, again, why do we trust those things? I'm not sure if you heard recently, but uh, there was a massive traffic jam on I-95 in Virginia. Maybe you saw that in news. Uh, Some were stranded for 24 hours in deadly cold. They were kind of alternating, as one person put it, They were living on Diet Dr. Pepper, cheese crackers, and ginger snap cookies while their gas tank neared empty. And they're just sort of turning it on, turning it off, turning it on, turning it off, just trying to keep warm. Some missed major events for their family. One family said they missed a family member's funeral in New York. But hundreds of motorists, including a U.S. senator, families with children, elderly relatives, spent a freezing day and night stuck in their vehicle. And, And they were worried. They were scared. Some have said that there was a major contributor to this problem. Now, verdict's out. I don't understand all these things, but some have said that Google Maps may have contributed to the problem. And you're going, well, what? What do you mean? Well, first of all, folks, how many of us here rely on this free service from Google? Don't raise your hands. I do. Okay, fine, raise your hands. Who doesn't? I mean, I can tell you there are times I've left the house and I'm like, with my wife, Jen, I'm like, don't even, wait, Google Maps, turn on now. I want it on now. Why? Because we've had family members miss flights because we picked the wrong route to the airport. And it shifts constantly because of traffic, right? So we want real-time data. We want it now. We want to be ready to roll. We want to get where we got to go. But here's the thing. Think about this. Who's giving you directions on the other end of this thing? Folks, it's not a person. It's not alive. It is an algorithm. This algorithm does not have your best interest at heart. It doesn't, have a, doesn't even have a heart, come to think of it. It has no compassion. It has no desire to give you more time. It doesn't care what event you're going to miss. It, it, in this case, did not trigger a, a do not travel here alert 
Because here's what happened. Local authorities had not issued the closure notice. And so what does the algorithm do? It just waits for the local authorities to kick that thing in. And if they don't do it, well, there's no notice. So what's the fastest way? Well, it's this way on I-95. And 24 hours later, you might move three inches. You know, why do we rely so much on a non-living algorithm? Good question. But a better question, why do we rely so much on so many other non-living things that we have made ourselves? Rather than relying on Yahweh, the living creator of all things. As you embark upon the new year, what are you relying on? That's what trust means. And as you look ahead to this new year, how can you make sure that you're relying more and more on the Lord God? That the glory goes to him. The center of gravity is his in your life. And all things orbit around him. Because he alone is... God. So the psalmist again goes on to say, all glory to him because God alone is faithful. God alone is almighty. God alone is the living God. And the psalmist goes on to give yet another reason. It's because God alone can rescue. We find that in verses 9 to 15. Three groups of people are addressed. Verse 9, O Israel. Verse 10, house of Aaron. So you've got, you got Israel as a whole. You've got the priesthood itself. But notice the third, you who fear the Lord. Very likely this could be referring to those of the nations who hear about Yahweh and turn to him. Uh, later in Israel's history, that phrase, God-fearer, would be referring to those who were Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus or who came to faith in Yahweh. Later, those who would turn to Christ. But here we see this third category. And notice, for each one, the second portion of the, of, the, of the phrase there is, he is their help and their shield. Um, this word for help, it's not just the idea of, oh yeah, you fell down, let me help you up. Uh-uh. This idea is giving aid to someone, not when they are doing their part as well, but instead, this is rescuing someone when they are completely helpless. This idea of help is helping someone who cannot in any way help themselves. So in that culture, it would be like the orphan or the widow. Someone who has no protection for themselves, has no resources for themselves. And really the picture here is a powerful person taking action to rescue a weak person who's in desperate need. In the Hebrew language, for someone to be without help of this sort often means that they would simply be dead. And so here he's saying, trust in Yahweh. Rely on Yahweh. No matter who you are, no matter where you're from, rely on Yahweh. Why? Because he's the one who reaches down and rescues the desperate and the needy who cannot help themselves. To put it plainly, the psalmist is saying, relying on an image or idol is stupid. And yet, relying on Yahweh is wise at every turn, in every circumstance, in every season, because he is the one who proactively takes action to reach down and lay hold of those who are desperate for help and can't help themselves. 
That's us. The gospel is not a religious improvement plan for yourself. Coming to Jesus isn't you coming and taking your life and sprucing it up and going, check this out, God, I'm pretty good. Oh, you helped me out a little bit. Now look what I did. No. No, the gospel is all of us are weak, helpless. And we're told that Christ, at the right time, died for the ungodly. Our God is the God who rescues. And so because of that, we can rely upon him. And because of that, all glory belongs to him. So all glory to God, not to us. Why? Because God alone is faithful. God alone is almighty. God alone is the living God. God alone can rescue. And the psalmist goes on to give us one final reason. Because God alone is the creator king. We find that in verses 16 through 18. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord. Why? Because he made them. They belong to him. They're his. You ever just go out and look at the sky and go, Psh, there's a lot of stars. One of my favorite things to do is to get away from here, get where there are less lights and just look up. God knows them all by name, all those stars. The ones that we can see, the ones that are beyond our ability to see, even with the, the great means that we have for discerning different different stars and, and, and galaxies and everything else. God knows them all by name. He's the creator king. Notice, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. He's given to people. Uh, that phrase sons of man means humankind, humanity. God's entrusted the earth to us. By the way, you know, I, I do get a little tired of, you know, certain political groups and others kind of hijacking things that ought to be a concern for us as well. Hey, we want to care for the planet God's given us. He's entrusted it to us. We long to do that. That's a good thing. Um... And yet, what do we find? We find here that the dead don't praise the Lord, nor do any who go down in silence. So there's a contrast here. God's the living God, the God of the living. Jesus would refer to him later as that uh, for, for rebuking some of the uh, Pharisees who didn't believe in the resurrection. He goes, hey, why is God saying he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob if they're dead and gone? No, God is the God of the living And so the idea of following the living God, you're alive in him, you're worshiping him. Those who um, reject, turn away. They don't praise him. And then verse 18, as for us, we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forever. You gotta love that. That phrase means we're gonna praise him now. We're gonna praise him in the age to come. Why? Because he is the mighty one. He is the one. All these reasons given. He is the one who is faithful, almighty, alive. He rescues. He's the creator. He's the king. And so because of that, we give him praise now and into the future and into eternity. Not just this year and as we look at the year ahead, but every year after that he gives us until he returns. We are to live in awe with God as the sole center of gravity in our universe. Why? Well, after all, he really is the sole center of gravity in the entire universe. And so because of that, we're to rely on him alone. 
as you face the year ahead, as we face the year ahead together as a church, may it be that all glory goes to Yahweh. And may we together rely on him each day ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would help us to see and to grow, grace us to walk in a way that reflects our reliance upon you alone. This year and each year you give us until you return or take us home, we praise you for this. In the name of Jesus, the living Savior, the resurrected one, we praise you in his name. Amen.